Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. from Serbia slash Broomfield. <laughs> what is up, everybody, and welcome into Serbian Corner, our weekend edition of the DNVR Nuggets podcast. I am your host today. I am Voya Medic. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not. I'm Adam Adas filling in for Voya, of course, but I am joined, as always, by the wise old sage of Serbia himself, Miroslav Chuk. Miroslav, it's good to see you, old friend. Oh, absolutely. You too. Uh, Voya is actually right now bathing in the Atlantic Ocean in the Florida. He is on some kind of a bachelor party in a <laughs> in a pool house, and uh, f you, Voya, for that. So, <laughs> but but you're missing the the real fun. This is where the real fun is. Man, I'll be honest with you. Today will be interesting, but fun is like I'm not sure. We, we're just going over the show notes, and there's some like. <laughs> I'm excited to have these conversations and I'm excited to talk about a lot of the things we're going to yeah. talk about, but you know, are the nuggets fun right now? That's, that's, I guess a question that, that we could almost ask is like, are you having fun? And when I say now, I mean, over this last, we'll say two week stretch. Uh, honestly, I, I feel that, uh, that the shows are more meaningful when the times are not great compared to when everything yeah. is, you know, uh, roses, uh, I think we have more takeaways every time Nuggets hit uh, uh, some sort of bump on the road. And uh, right now they are hitting quite a, quite a lot of them regarding the team construction and also, also some, some in-game stuff as well, also the arena atmosphere as well. So, yeah, we, we have a lot of things to, to catch up on. Well, let's start with, we're going to get into a bunch of different things. I mean, the Serbian perspective on fans and comparing and contrasting Ball Arena to, to maybe some of the games you see in Belgrade or in Europe, which I'm sure will be a stark contrast. Um, but I want to start just with last night's game because it was such an interesting one. I mean, I, my perspective on it, which I shared last night, Miroslav, was that I feel like that was maybe a top seven performance from the Nuggets this year <laughs> collectively, and it came in a, a home loss. What are your, some of your big takeaways from last night's loss to the Phoenix Suns? 
they've played so well that I feel they should have win the game. Mm. I mean, if there weren't some some strange decisions by the referees late in the fourth quarter and also some some uh, overusing physicality from the Phoenix Suns side as well, I think Nuggets really had this game there. But man, when I when I see Mikel Bridges, I just love that guy, man. He's mm. so sexy, and I mean in in every possible way. I mean that guy is is pure, pure bucket, pure um, smooth operator. You know, I, he is I, smooth operator. I like that. He's definitely a smooth operator. And and the, the fact that I'm jealous about the Phoenix Suns is they actually sucked for so many years, and they've gathered so many high picks. So now this is why they have such great role players. Yes and, and also, no. I don't know. Yes, yes and no. It's true that they do have a lot of guys that have been high picks, but they have also found a lot of gems, in my opinion. They found I agree. a lot of guys that, and also I mean, a couple of great veterans as well, and some great veterans. But the interesting one to me that I look at when I look at the Phoenix Suns is, you know, what would they look like right now if they had Luka Doncic? The entire roster and development would be different. Now, would they have won it anyway? Maybe, or would they've been been very good anyway? Probably because Luka's that good that the margin for error gets wider, but. It's funny to me that they could have both been wrong about Aiton being better than Luca. Luca's better than Aiton, but also right about like, hey, it fit sort of the other pieces that they had in tow. And now Aiton, what's impressive to me about him specifically is that he's such a great player, but so willing to only get 50% out of his most flashy parts in order to maximize everything else. So to me, I, 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 don't, I don't take away from them having high draft picks because I think they picked the right guys in those spots. Yes, and and some of those guys are, are really great culture culture builders, and yeah. I'm I'm envious of some of the guys they have. For instance, I mean Jay Crowder, man. Why can Denver ever have a Jay Crowder on their roster? He's such a playoff player. He's so thick, so big, so right. switchy. I mean, Denver has just a lot of lean, light guys that that cannot compare to him. I, I, I will say, I think Aaron Gordon is a bit of a Jay Crowder. I mean, Jay Crowder is like really thick. Like he's a unit. There's yeah. not a lot of guys his size that yeah. sort of move like that and can shoot like that. But I think Aaron Gordon is that guy. And Aaron Gordon was supposed to be in that role, basically, meaning he's supposed to be a guy you don't count on for anything other than that kind of stuff. So they have at least one. Yeah, sure. Sure. And, and they have Jeff Green, who is 35. And I think this is this is where the list ends, really. I mean, if you don't count... On, on Jokic to, to be your thick guy right, in the right. middle. <laughs> Other than that, I mean, I have I have so much love for, for our players, each one of them, and I see some glaring weaknesses, mostly in their body types, not in their basketball skill, because Nuggets have some really, really skilled players. But yeah. for instance, I mean, a couple of days ago, you said you're the biggest fan of Monte Morris in the world. And I have to tell you, no, man, Voya is. So, so stop <laughs> with that. Voya, Voya specifically told me to tell you that live in program. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, one he, he only has one glaring weakness, and that's he cannot finish around the rim because yeah. he's so tiny. He does everything perfectly well and then just gets swatted out down there. So, so yeah, I, we, we really miss Jamal for that. And Bones yeah. is kind of a kind of a hope in that regard. He is skinny, but he's so long. His long arms 
help him a lot on both sides of the court. His his closeouts. I mean, I've obviously talked about this on the list and even on the show, but his closeouts. He, I just am always surprised at how much ground he covers, and I think it's Mikael Bridges is like bones if bones was six foot eight or whatever Mikael bridges is because he's the same thing like he blocks who did he block yesterday where you're kind of it was just like a jumper that got blocked right back to him and you're like man you rarely see that but he's so long he covers ground yeah could have been bones to be honest it might might have been been bones Bones. yeah players just don't get blocked like bull bull used to do this remember when he did it to jj reddick where like you shoot a jumper and the shot gets blocked (laughs) straight down and you're like wait what from from 15 feet away yeah exactly (laughs) so i think bones provides the the requisite length i do and then like michael porter you know he also people always talk about like sort of the skill aspect of it but the physical aspect of it yes he's so skinny but the length the combined length of it it's just there is a world in which the Nuggets next year have one of the longer teams in the NBA, and it's just so weird to think about because when we're critiquing their team, they're they are lacking a lot of their length right now. Yeah, and and also they're lacking physicality. Even even when you look at yeah. Porter, he's so he has that nice yeah. hair hairstyle. He's always nice to everybody. Right. I I don't see you know the flame inside of him yeah. when he plays like 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 some other guys do. So. Yeah, this, the uh, Suns have this collectively. He, he I want to make a, I want to make this point though, Miroslav, because the Suns have this collectively, and I got this note from somebody and maybe a couple different people last night that were at the game, and they're like, the the Suns just carry themselves like in warmups and everything. They carry themselves like, yeah, we're here, we're gonna beat you down, and like I don't care if you know it or don't. You know, they just have this edge to them, this kind of f you to them, and like you saw the video of Booker dribbling. This wasn't against the Nuggets, but it was the game before where somebody says something to him, and he says, "Shut up!" and like, and then just keeps playing. Like they have that sort of edge to them, where they're there to be like, nobody gives a shit. You know, like you, you talk to us, you better be prepared for us to punch you in the mouth. And I don't know that the Nuggets, the the Nuggets are definitely lacking the requisite amount of that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I I agree. I agree. They they just got bullied, and I don't, don't mind. Uh, being a bully, to be honest, because my favorite team, uh, Partizan Belgrade, they used to be the biggest bullies in the Euroleague. They always lacked the, the pure quality because their teams were too young and didn't have a lot of foreign players. But they compensated that by beating up everybody. And, you know, at, at some point, the, the referees just have to stop calling every every foul because <laughs> there is not enough fouls to give in, in that, uh, that kind of situation. So... Yeah, I think I think it is fair to see that you can get as bullied as they were uh, yesterday night against the Phoenix, and they should be prepared for that for the playoffs for sure. I mean, the Phoenix Suns. It, my fear is the Nuggets, you know, having to match up with them in a playoff series because I just that I thought, like I said last night's effort from the Nuggets was an A effort, maybe not A plus because there were some sloppy turnovers or whatever, but it was just to me it was such a if you said they were going to play four playoff games, would I expect more than one or two to be better than what they gave last night? Like, I don't think so. And that means you're probably having at least two games, if not more, where you play worse than that. And Very interesting. You said you just said that because uh, a journalist of Voice of America, Braca Djordjevic, got an exclusive interview with Nikola that will air on Serbian TV station N1 tomorrow. And I spoke to Braca about it, and he sent me some teasers and in Ooh. one extremely short video he's nicola says that uh, a better team always almost always win a match in the playoffs mm. you can steal one or two matches in a series but that's it there is no way 
uh, worse team will beat a better team in the playoff series. So, so I, I found that uh, like like uh, brutally honest answer, yeah. and I think he was referring to the Phoenix Suns series of last year for sure. I mean, he is right about this. That in the when we have seen upsets. They've almost always been seven or six games, you know, where there's been an upset. It's very rare that you see a team that like gets swept or wins in five games where you're like, man, the lesser team won that one. It's like that just doesn't happen. Basketball is a game yeah. where, especially at the end of a playoff series, everybody kind of knows everybody. And now it's like, hey, who can do what? And outside of a, of a player or team just outright choking things away, usually you just watch a game and you're like, yeah, that one team. They were significantly better than the other. And Denver right now, that's part of what's so hard about the season is it's hard to talk yourself into that they are the better team. You know, that they are, oh, yeah, they would go into even even a Memphis right now, which, again, like this is the thing about competition is, you know, you always want to try. You always want to measure yourself. But there's just some of these teams, and Phoenix is certainly one of them, where you look at it and you go, yeah, that's tough, man. They just they have so many ways to beat you. They know exactly who they are. They've been building at this for two years, and Denver has sort of been sitting in this, this spot. Um you know, I thought Devin Booker last night, one of the we talked about this a little bit on the, the post-game show. He he was going for he was going at Jokic, not necessarily trying to ISO him or anything like that, but he was going to score a big point total. I kept wondering why he played last night on a second night of a back-to-back for no reason. And I honestly think it was a statement game for him saying, like, hey, I don't want Jokic to be the MVP. And we're starting to see this. John Morant today, Isaiah Thomas, like guys are starting to come out of the woodwork and start to say this. What feels very targeted specifically at Jokic himself about they, they want him to be the MVP and they're making up criteria for him. And it sucks because I think Jokic is in the center of this sort of culture war for which he doesn't want to be, has no really participation in. And to be honest, probably doesn't even understand, but we're starting to see it. And last night, nobody's talked about it, but last night I think Booker had a very specific reason for playing the way he did. Yeah, and, and it's real funny if you look at Booker's numbers throughout the season. It is just he is like like the tenth most deserving guy to to be a, an MVP this season. I mean, right, you right. based on the team success, you can bump him up to like seventh, but not more than that. I mean, so many so many great performances we've seen, individual performances we've seen this season. I mean. If Luca didn't have a bullshit first two two months of the season, he would be the MVP right now because he's yeah. playing insanely since since January. So uh, it's just, I mean, great. Booker is scoring like twenty six point two points per game. Jokic is scoring twenty six point one, and he has a field goal percentage that's eleven percent higher than Booker. So what gives? Yeah. You want to look at the the, the assists, the, the rebounds. The, the advanced metrics it's it's crazy i know it's it's nice to have a guy from a top seed being the best player but realistically do you, how how worse do you think the phoenix suns would be if booker have missed like 50 games this season i mean they probably still be the number one seed if, if nobody that's right else or, or that's what right have you. so you're right that, that it's marginal there I, it's tough because on one hand booker has a point the point is that for the longest time, we did have this criteria of top two teams in each conference, who's the top scorer on one of those teams. And you had to kind of pick between those four players. And that was a criteria. I think it's good that we've moved away from it, starting with Russell Westbrook's you know, triple-double season, his MVP season in 2016. It sort of opened things up now to being different than, you know, than what they have been in the past in a way that is good. So Booker is sort of 
one of the first players to just get no consideration when he has the number one record and he's the number one scorer. He's the first, he's one of the first ones to just not even be in the conversation. And I think a lot of that is everybody understands the Suns are really good to your point and that they are not dependent on any one player and all of the stats back that out. So he is pointing more to precedent precedent to make a point, a larger point that I think is unfair, but at least pointing to the precedent, he is correct that it used to be a different criteria. I'm going to respectfully disagree with vote here. He says it's the foreigners, in my opinion, not just Jokic, even Giannis and Embiid. The tweets that have come out are about it used to be a top seed. Giannis and Embiid right now are two and three in the Eastern Conference. They are the top seed. So to me, they are not talking about Embiid or Giannis. Otherwise, they would have said something different. Those two teams are both in the top of their conference. So this is a very specific targeted at Jokic thing. Yeah, it's really strange. I have never ever, ever seen a tweet against Giannis, uh, sorry, against Embiid outside of, you know, Nuggets, Twitter right. sphere. Uh, and he's not perceived as a foreign player because he actually played college in, in the US. And that makes a big difference for some sure. reason in minds of people that he's not as foreign as Giannis and, and Nikola is. And of course, he's not, He I don't know, is he less goofy than than Nikola and and Yanis is I mean he's like he, people he, weird. Don't you he seems like a nice guy who Embiid yeah yeah of course I he's mean like, on interviews charming. and everything he's super charming yeah. I mean he really yeah. does under he's charismatic and it's funny that I'm always shocked at the crossover between NBA fans and W you know wrestling fans and Embiid is a he clearly has an understanding for the ways in which wrestling you know pro wrestling and american marketing overlap because wrestling is almost like the american id the american like subconscious right it's just all narrative it's all like we're selling things through conflict or this or that and mb just seems to kind of understand that on this very like this level so to me it's that's where it's a little bit different different is he understands and not even just understands he cares about that thing more than the other two by leaps and bounds so there, there's all these different layers to it, but my point is more that um, with Jokic, he kind of finds himself in this. And I don't know how you feel. I'm curious your take. Part of me, full disclosure, the Bontemp straw poll is coming out here very recently. I'm curious to see where everybody has all of these players. Part of me wonders, I almost don't want Jokic to win. Not the straw poll, the actual MVP. And I know that sounds weird, but part of me thinks that there is an extra... There's just going to be too many negative things that would come with that. And I don't think Jokic cares. Like, that's the thing is, I don't think he's going to be bothered by not winning. But in winning, he probably is going to become more in a spotlight for things of which he has no interest in having to be in the spotlight for. So part of me kind of hopes he loses. What do you think of that? Yeah, I know why you feel like that. Because if they would, uh, you know, get get thrown out of, out of playoffs in first round after winning the second consecutive, MVP that would be like like so much fuel for Nick Wright and 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 uh, such uh, such writers to to write about him and and I agree about Nikola not caring too much about it. Uh, another snippet I got from the interview that will air tomorrow is when Bratza asked him how does he feel about his games and team games so far in this season. He said, "Listen, man, I, I'm just trying to play the best I can. I don't I don't know." If I will be scoring 24 or 27 points per game, it doesn't matter. What does matter is me feeling that I'm doing the right things for my team, and 
I think I'm carrying the team so far well. And he's just like 100% concentrated on that. And I think he he also just shuts down after every game. And this is this is why sometimes you will you will get those underwhelming uh, quotes from him on the post-game pressers. It's just like, uh, I'm not even thinking about the game, man. I played bad or I played good and then I'm going home now and we'll have another game in two days and that's that's all that matters. So, yeah. yeah. It's it's not a great insight for me. I think it's just that uh, I think he, he feels that winning MVP is nice, but of course the main the main goal is will always be the championship. I think he really I think it's underestimated how much he wants the respect. You know, he want he wants that aspect of it. But I just think that he maybe sees or maybe he doesn't, but he would see if he won a second time in the Nuggets if he won a second time this year, next season would carry an a, a unique amount of pressure and just like conversations for which he I think it would be unfair to place him in, meaning like he would have to account for, oh, there's only been seven two-time MVPs and they're all this or this. Why are you? It must be something about the way this structurally and institutionally that the voting works or this or that, that you got it because you clearly don't deserve it. And I just, again, he, I don't think he wants that, that distraction to follow him through the entirety of next season. Um, so I don't know. We'll let us see how it plays. We'll see how all of this lies. I think he has the respect of most people. Um, but we're starting to see some of these players speak up in ways that I think is kind of interesting. The other storyline that came out of last night's game, but it really came out of the Boston Celtics game was just sort of, you know, the crowd. And I know this happens every year and every year we freak out about it. So maybe this is a non-story. I've had some people reach out to me and say, Adam, it's been like this for 10 years. It's not getting worse. It's not getting better. It's just the way it is. Maybe that's true. I don't know if there's a way to quantify it. It feels to me like the city of Denver has changed so much in that capacity in one direction. But when you see that as a Serbian, when you see Celtics fans chanting as loudly as they do for their guys at Ball Arena, and you see the Phoenix crowd behind the Phoenix bench the way they were, you know what? What's your perspective on it? Okay, so let's start with this. Yesterday, you had a tweet about things getting even worse yeah. from from game to game uh, in in more Ball year Arena, to year, but sure. or more year, yeah, year to year getting worse in the ball arena and Voya answered that with a with a small video of Red Star fans cheering for 20 minutes after the game is finished in a game where Red Star lost by 20 points so you have like 5000 people still in the arena chanting and singing songs about the uh, about uh, their uh, favorite club even though they've lost hugely in that game but what Voya couldn't uh, say with that video is the same things applies to Red Star or Partizan uh, games even when they're playing away because mm. Serbia is different. You have two major clubs, something like Celtics and, and the Lakers, but uh, it's even more unfair to the other clubs. This is why I, I so much love cheering for the Denver Nuggets and I loved cheering for the Sacramento Kings back in the early 2000s. It's because we are complete underdogs. And and the NBA is a kind of a league where you have the biggest possible chance of overcoming everything, being an underdog, because you have the salary cap, because you have right. all those rules put in place to give chance to smaller market teams to at least compete, if not win. Right. So uh, uh, 
one thing I saw in that Phoenix Suns game was, you know, Boston fans mocking Nikola Jokic on, on the free throw line, calling him the MVP after, you know, Boston was beating them with, by 20 points. And that's something that's, for me, completely uh, unexcusable. Because even though, for instance, Partizan and Red Star have fans all over Serbia, and they will have more fans wherever they play than the home team. But nobody will try to insult the home team or home players because those people fucking live in the, those cities. How right. can you mock the guys that play for your city? At least respect that. Okay, yeah, you, you, you should put your green flags up and cheer for Boston Celtics if you want to. But don't mock the local guys because that's just... You have to get out on the street tomorrow. How can right. you do it like that? It's just crazy. And- there's like a healthy amount of like where fans or where we're being a fan of sports matter. Like there's, I know some people are like, you should Denver fans should, you know, beat their ass or this or that. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, we're not going to sit here and fight in the stands. Like there's, we are a civilized. Oh, you you uh, better not. Yeah. like That's like, what's yeah. happened in Serbia. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or like, honestly, like it's, it's really kind of, sports have to be contained in this space where it's like, Hey, they're important and they matter to us, but they like, Eric always says it's where you can place uh, these tough human emotions in a place where it's safe and healthy, but it's a slippery slope between that and like dragging someone out in the the causeway and beating them, you know, or something like this, like that we obviously you want to avoid. Um, But I think what you're getting at here is the most important thing. And it's an important thing about American culture of which Colorado has become a sort of ground zero for this, which is do people, those people that come and mock Jokic on his, in his arena, what they are doing is feeling a sense of community with their Celtic brethren here in the city of Denver. But what they are, it's inversely correlated to their uh, camaraderie and connectedness to their city. So it's a weird thing where it used to be, we're all in this together. Now Celtics fans and Lakers fans and Bulls fans almost have an even stronger community, but it's one that's disconnected from the broader community of which they exist. And to me, it is perfectly analogous to American culture in many ways, which is the same thing, fragmented and closer in subculture, but more broken and weaker in the larger culture. Yeah, I agree. It's it's really complex. It's 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 not something we can easily see anywhere in Europe, especially in Serbia, because you know everybody is kind of local there. You right. The, the whole of Serbia is as big as Colorado. Right. A couple of mil- million more people than Colorado, but. It's like it's like Colorado and Utah from a population standpoint, which is yeah by American standards like meaningless. Nobody cares. Like people say no, but when people talk about Colorado and Utah, they're like nobody lives there. It's (laughs) it's the same population as all of Serbia. Yeah, this is actually the reason why we are so proud of our basketball because we know how few of us there are, and we still manage to manage to. I've told you before about this, and I'm, I'm I'm repeating myself, but. It's still my biggest goal as a, as a Nikola Jokic fan uh, to see him overachieve Dirk Nowitzki. And it's not because I don't like Dirk Nowitzki. I actually hated Dirk, Dirk Nowitzki back in his playing days because he was the only reason why Peja Stojakovic wasn't the best European player of all time by, by that time. And now I love him because he's so goofy and so great. But, you know, it's just unfair that a guy from Germany that doesn't really have a great basketball tradition 
be the best you know, international player <laughs> of all funny. time when you have such basketball nations like Serbia, like, like Lithuania, like, this like is some why, other. When I was talking to Ethan Strauss on Wednesday, another show that I highly recommend people go back and check out, but one of the things we talked about was Shaq mentioning, you know, oh, I thought you were Russian, and the way that this was like a dropping the ball because of this point that you're talking about. It's not that he just got the countries wrong. It's that he missed why that's interesting. Right now, there is a huge Balkan influx that actually follows a very long and rich Balkan tradition um, about why, oh, this is a place in the world that actually likes basketball as much, if not more, than people in the U.S. And that's a story that, like, Jokic and Luka provide a phenomenal opportunity to tell that story. And by the way, Shaquille O'Neal's rival for many of his best years in the Lakers was Vladi Divac. Like That's there right. was an actual, this is, how could he not know this when actually he went up against a guy who shares Jokic's heritage? Vlade Divac was literally the only center of that time who knew how to play against Shaq because he was the master of flopping. And that, that's the only reason, because, he, of course, he wasn't strong enough to hold his ground. But he was flopping so, so well, he used to have those games where Shaq would just fall out after right. 25 minutes because Vlade would just, just beat him to it. So, right. yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, don't, don't, don't pretend you're, you're dumber than you are. Come on, man. You can do better than that. Yeah, there are other kinds of comedy, I mean. I know. Dumb comedy really is like my least favorite one. The like ignorant person's comedy. It's like my lowest, yeah. it's the lowest form. I can't do it. Um, yeah. it, it just takes me too much. But the, but the thing that I, I know like Serbians are, are going to be so up in arms and, and are up in arms and fairly so. I'm up in arms about it. Like to me, this is a, it's like a kind of an embarrassing thing about our city that th that it doesn't have that connectedness that through sports that, that most other cities do. But um, but I don't, but I, at the same time, Serbians have to understand that their entire country is the size of, like you said, Colorado. And yeah. there are all these other forces at play. It really would be more akin to why are there so many Lakers and Celtics fans the same way there are partisan and Red Star. I think that's, that's a really salient point. It's just on a much bigger scale. We're talking about 300 million instead of 9 million. How, um, how do you feel, how do you feel Ball Arena is, is greeting Derek White, for instance, like, like a local guy? Do, do you feel that? There is more of a connectiveness to the local guy. I mean, there certainly is in terms of people like Chauncey was the ultimate one of this, right? Where yeah, sure. people because Chauncey was Derek White is from the, the Springs, I believe, or or he went to school down in the Springs, so it's a little bit different. Um, whereas Chauncey was from Park Hill, right there, and then right by the DNVR bar, and then he went to Boulder, which is close to Denver. So he's a, mm -hmm. in some ways feels a little more local. Also, he just was more famous. I mean, that Derek White was, sure. he was a lot more sure. popular even coming up. But Derek White, yeah, there's a little bit, but it's not like you notice. If you just went to Ball Arena with no context, you wouldn't be like, why are they all cheering for that guy on the other team? Yeah, yeah. I get so, it. Yeah. Um, moving on now, another thing that happened that's interesting here for your perspective is Michael Malone. He gets the extension, and he gets it a few days after one of his most controversial moves as a head coach. He benched the starters coming out of timeout against the Boston Celtics. I will say one little caveat before I throw it to you. It was interesting hearing him in the pregame yesterday talk about, I felt a lot better after seeing that they did the same thing to Utah. <laughs> like, okay, good. We're not the only ones. And I wonder if that was like, there's a little perspective here of like, hey, maybe Celtics are just 20 points better than the Nuggets right now. And what happened was just the natural occurrence. But Michael Malone benched the starters. Does this stuff happen fairly regularly? Never? What's your perspective on that? Okay. Let me let me just... just uh, um 
get, get some groundwork on this. So first of all, if you're not a DNVR uh, subscriber, just go there and subscribe because Harrison yeah. wrote a great piece on this a couple of days ago, just after that uh, Celtics game. And this takeaway about him benching the starters uh, for the start of the second quarter and some other takeaways from this game, just just go and, and read it. It's a, it's a great piece of writing. So my first thought when I saw him uh, putting zero starters to begin the third quarter was, of course he did. What was he supposed to do down 25 at the half? The fact that this shocked so many people online is a result of malpractice the NBA has been doing for years. The head coach has very little control over his team because everything is defined before the game. So the fact that uh, uh, when the team is having a surprisingly bad season, for instance, head coach usually is the first to take the fall and... How is that fair if the front office is not empowering the coach to do everything he needs to do in order to save the season? You know, and luckily, Denver Nuggets are not bad, a bad team. They are like 12, 12 games, 11 games above 500. So it's not that big of a deal. But they might fall into, into the plane. And we expect Malone just to, to be a robot and just, you know, make the, the, the regular rotations every time. And I will yeah. make a small movie analogy here. I believe it was Federico Fellini who said that if the main role in his film is being portrayed by a vegetable seller at the green market in real life, if this guy would suck at being the re- lead role, that would be the director's fault. Mm. Because he is a director. Everything is up to him. So what I want to say here is don't make the head coach be the babysitter to his millionaire players. Let him concentrate on motivation and tactical stuff and not worry about a guy being pissed off or starting off the bench. I, I mean, I know you'll say this is completely unrealistic in today's NBA because the player have a way of forcing themselves uh, not only away from the team, but also toward the team of their desire. And that is because there is enough there isn't enough camaraderie among players in the team. And I'm not talking about the Nuggets here, but the NBA in general. My solution here would be to incentivize winning. So if a guy... First of all, there is no starters and there is no bench. That's bullshit. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can have a different starting lineup for every game based on the opponent. Why? I mean, George Carl says, says that. This is why I love uh, uh, the podcast you have with, with George, because we can hear what the coach actually thinks. And right. why do you care if you're starting or not? If you're closing the game, if you're playing 35 minutes per game, why do you care about starting? And, you know, if you would incentivize winning, like, let's say the team that finishes number one in the seating get, like, $20 million you know, prize, for that why not i mean why do we hate the regular season so much why do we make it so meaningless because you know in the east right now there is a possibility that the the brooklyn nets will be seventh or they will be seventh or eighth at the end and they can knock out the number one seed is because they just didn't have you know all the horses during the season and now they will probably have it 
or almost all of them. They will not have Joe Harris, I guess. But, you know, and there is no reward for, for the guys that were sweating throughout the, throughout the season. And, you know, if you incentivize it like that, guys wouldn't care so much about the role. They would care about winning more and getting that reward at the end of the season. Well, I, I at least I hope so. I mean, here's what's so fascinating about sports, though, is I think that they really do weave in and out. Like part of why the NBA is the way that it is is because it is an American sport. Like it comes, it hails from American culture. It's an American league, I should say. People are going to correct me and say, actually, it was a Canadian that invented it, Dr. Naismith. But it's it's by all intents and purposes an American sport and an American league, and it was structured in ways that had heavy, heavy American influences. And so there is this way of, of like – Cult, the, the league is reflecting culture in a lot of ways. But I don't – here's my fear, Marislav, with what you're, what you're pitching here about these like built-in incentives. Players and front offices and everybody has sort of perfected figuring out ways around the system. It's a real problem here. It's not so much the rules the NBA has in place. It's that all these people are finding out ways around it, whether it's do I actually need to show up and play? Can I still get paid under these loopholes, even if I'm not, if I'm doing the bare minimum? Like there's all these things. And so part of me thinks like you start building in these incentives and what are some of the ripple effects that you get that are maybe have unintended consequences? So I'm, I'm almost opposed to putting in some of these extra little things here because it's just more ways for people to game the system. Okay, I have one more hot take to fire away. Well, hold on, before you get there, though, Miroslav, I want okay. to pull because you actually said something even more interesting. Oh, sorry. When you were talking about Fellini, and okay. I'm going to use another director actually as a, as a reference, the Coen Brothers. I'm a movie guy, so now you opened up a whole can of worms here. The Coen <laughs> Brothers, I have worked with some great, great actors, and one of the things that actors will say is that there's very little freedom in the role, right? Because as to your point, they are auteurs. They have control. They are making the movie that they have in their head and they yeah. got the people and they were going to perform the way we, we tell you. So it is like an actor will make a creative choice and the director will say, cut. This is actually how we want you to say it. Like, and they'll change, like they'll tell the actor. There are other directors though, who are way different, who say, you know, I write the script or so-and-so writes the script or I take it. But once I once we start filming, it's a collaborative effort where it's not – I have a vision, but I have to be open to the fact that everybody has a vision and it's the confluence of that. And there are different styles of filmmaking, and there's some great filmmakers that are examples of both. I think it applies perfectly to coaching and that there are some coaches that it's like, no, I have my – I tell everybody how to do it. You give me the degree of this or that. And then there's some that are – this is a collaborative thing, and while I have my take, Jokic has his take and Barton has his take and – Hopefully, through leadership, we can blend those together to make the perfect movie. But it's a philosophical difference that I think is successful both ways. And this is why I actually think Michael Malone is 95 percentile of a perfect coach for the Denver <laughs> Nuggets. The fact that he doesn't uh, put his hands too much in the offensive scheme when, when Nikola is playing. Of course, he will make him, his life easier by doing this and that but at the end he will just let him do the play calling and when you see the timeout we have now the microphones on top of coaches during timeouts you can hear him just being a motiva motivational speaker he's not calling any any plays at all and that's shocking to me because you know when you when you see european coaches they're just you know writing like crazy on those little dashboards they have 
just trying to 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 get the most out of the, the next ATO or whatever. And he's just she's just cool about it. And he's of course thinking about defense and stuff. And uh, one thing I was thinking about head coaches not having a lot of power over the, their teams is them lacking the authority is the reason that the 30 NBA head coaches are not actually the best 30 coaches in the world. Mm. You have 98% of best players in your league, but you don't have 98% best coaches in the league. And, you know, you have guys like Pop, like Spo, like Nurse, Monty Williams, Tyron Lue. They're for sure top 10 coaches in the world. No, no questions asked. But, you know, there are some great NCAA coaches, EuroLeague coaches, national team coaches who would be extremely good in the NBA environment if they would get the power over the team, if they would be able... Yeah, but that's part of the challenge, I think, about the NBA. What makes it a unique challenge? Because I agree with you when you think about this solely as the strategic element of it, but it's not just a strategic one. There's a social element to it that's actually extremely strong and powerful. And that's why coaching at the NBA level to me, is the hardest thing. Because it's the same, by the way, of college coaches. There's some really great college minds. And you always think, could they make the leap to the NBA? And it's like, I don't know, because the X's and O's strategic aspect of it is maybe 30% of the job. Yeah, and they need to win every every press conference if they want to to live in the NBA. That's, that's just annoying to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know it gives great content to us, so... So that's good. I mean, it's it's the whole industry. I always say this. NBA is not a sport competition. It's a multinational company. It's just a company yeah. that generates revenue. It has nothing to do with sports. Sports is is like a backdrop to the to the NBA. Everything else is just making money. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I I get it. I hate it and I get it. But you know, I I'm always thinking about what would happen if 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 Magic and Bird didn't save the NBA back in the 80s? What if the NBA just bankrupted? How would the basketball look right now? You know, what would be the main leagues all around the world? Because I always uh, listen to Serbian fans talking about FIFA, the, the World Football International Association. I mean, I mean soccer, you know, but that's, that's football is how the rest of the world calls it. So, uh, FIFA has so much so much power over players that all that all the best players in the world always play for the national teams because all the clubs need to need to to let players play there mm. but that's only because soccer doesn't have the NBA doesn't yeah. have their own NBA because Americans don't really care about soccer that much and and this is this is why Football is still surviving, but but in 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 international basketball uh, waters, NBA is really really on top of the food chain for sure. Here's another question you have, another topic that's interesting. You, you just ask, what are the odds we get a net positive version of Jamal or Porter this season? I think the odds are pretty low for for Jamal Porter. Yeah. I just have no idea. I mean, there's been so much radio silence. He could be back tomorrow. I don't know. Like part of me, part of me is sitting here just waiting. For that news to drop about, oh, did you hear like Michael Porter upgraded to questionable? But part of me also, if we find out tomorrow that he's ruled out for the year, would not be surprised in the least. So we're in this weird spot where I don't know. But before we get to the what will you get, 
facing the reality that you might not get a Jamal Murray. I remember when Michael Malone talked about when Jamal Murray went down, he went to coach and he said, man, are you guys going to trade me now? Like he was afraid of that. And, and Malone laughed and said this and, and kind of said, whatever, you know, we're not going to trade you. I sit here now and I think Jokic is about to go two seasons that might be fully wasted in the middle of his prime, really at the start of his prime. And I sit here and think, I, everybody expected Jamal to be back this year. The fact that he might not, and now you have two seasons, MVP seasons of Jokic that are just that might go down the drain. I part of me goes, maybe they should have. Like I love Jamal Murray. This is not a personal thing. I love the version of the Nuggets that would have Jamal Murray. But I sit here and go, if Jokic is left out to dry two years in a row, maybe it was worth trying to say, hey, Bradley Beal, bring him in. He's not as good long term as Jokic, but you know what? It, you don't waste anything. Two years ago, the pandemic was was like in in, in two months uh, uh, there, and the the NBA was kind of looking to to get back. And you had George Carl on your show, but the day before that, he just tweeted like, "The Denver Nuggets will never win a championship if they don't make risks. They mm -hmm. need to bring a floor general like like CP3 in order to to win it all." Yeah. And I remember Alec Gwynn responded to that tweet with, "Nobody asked you, George." And I I laughed so hard. It was it was such a funny. Such a funny response, the funniest I've ever seen on Twitter. And then he came to your show and he made his case about the CP3 and completely turned me around. It it was it was amazing to me. And then a couple of days later, you had me on the show and asked me what I what I think about the CP3 coming to Denver. And remember, CP3 was back then playing for the Oklahoma City yeah. Thunder, and they traded him for like Rubio yeah, it wasn't and that much. pick almost nothing. And I, I went all the way saying, I mean, I regretted it afterwards because the bubble happened. But I said I would trade Jamal for CP3 right now. This is how much I believe in what George is saying. Mm. And, you know, in hindsight, we would probably be preparing for our second Larry O'Brien right, right now if we, had, if we had, you know, a healthy CP3. Of course, you never know how those right. things go. So, ah. Uh, uh, I, I I just don't know. I don't know, man. It's it's so tough. And I came to the point, and I wasn't at this point like three days ago, but things are moving really fast right now as we are approaching April right now. And I came to the position right now where I, and everybody will forgive me for this, I hope Jamal will not return this season. Oh, man. After, after everything that happened. Because two things. Okay, you have that huge risk that that you know he's not ready either physically or, or or mentally. But there's another part. We know who Jamal is. Jamal was never an all-star player by now, and this is his sixth season. Of course, it's not fair because he's mit, missed a whole year now. He is not the all-star player because he's a very inconsistent regular season player who thrives in the playoff in the playoff environment. But the problem here is he doesn't have four months of ramping up to get to the playoff shape. And what what is the the probability of him being in even like... Uh, what does it mean, 80% of, of shape anyway? 
I mean, I know, I know. It really is, it's actually more binary than people think. That's yeah, right. Idea it's very binary. Really like, can he yeah. or can't he? <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's a, right. That's the question. If so. he, if he cannot make any separation on his jumpers, then he's done. He's yeah. not a very quick player. He needs all that footwork, all that beautiful technique he has in order to to get separation because he's neither big or fast no, or quick. So, yeah. At this point, regarding Jamal, I'm hoping he doesn't return because he would uh, mess up the chemistry, even though everybody loves him there, I'm sure. Especially Nikola. Nikola, I think he, he thinks of Jamal as of his younger brother he never had. So, but but uh, if if you look at the the planks, I mean, if you put him on the bench, maybe, you know. But who who do you replace right now, you know, with an unhealthy, let, let's say, let's say unprepared Jamal on the bench? Who do you replace right now? Uh, Bryn Forbes, I guess. I mean, I know he's not playing. Like he didn't play last. He's not night really. Anyway. He's not really in the rotation. Yeah. Bones still plays. Austin River still plays. Um, Boogie still plays. Jamichael Green still plays. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's where it is, is you just end up with three guards with Austin Rivers being your small forward off the bench. But then the question becomes, if Michael Porter's also back, then are you taking Jeff Green out of the rotation as well? Like, it's just, it's really tough. And I honestly, part of me wonders, again, I think we're late in the game. I'm with you that I just have lost hope of it being a positive impact anything. So even if they do come back, I just worry that it would be a bad thing. And I also sit here and think like, I think mean... Porter is a bit different story, to be honest. Not completely the same. Like because he never felt like being in a top shape, to be honest. I mean, he was never hundred percent on the same page with the other right. with the other teammates, and he was no still question. contributing. Yeah, he he's just so talented at being six eleven and shooting forty five percent for the three and getting rebounds if he's playing a power forward. So you can really plug him in if he's ready and and get like good 20 minutes out of him. Here, here's why Probably. I think it's important though, Miroslav. And part of me and why I still lean that I want both of them to come back, assuming that they're, you know, they don't want them to get injured. So if it's like, hey, they're not healthy enough, then what what can you do? But if they are, you know, if it's just mental, if it's just, you know, like, hey, there's not really a risk of re-injury, but we don't know if the season's worth it, it doesn't matter. Bring them back for this reason. I think everybody on this roster has to feel the pain of not making it all the way or make it all the way and then you don't have to feel it. But short yeah. of that, I think they all need to feel it. And if Michael Porter and Jamal Murray don't play and this team loses and gets swept in the first round, I'll always wonder, do they feel the same pain that Jokic feels, that Barton feels, that all of these guys feel from, hey, we came up short in a way that was, you know, that stung, that hurt, and that made it, it, this that, and I don't... So to me, that's part of what I need. And I and I just feel like with Jamal in particular, you know, Jokic and Jamal, I think, grew pretty close in the bubble. And 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 you heard Jokic say, I honestly believe he's a superstar. He has his back. He said all these things. Part of me feels that again, I don't know if Jamal's healthy enough or not for this. But if he is, I do feel like he kind of needs to have Jokic's back in a way of like, I can't give you much, but I want to be there so that you know that your failure is also my failure, not this I'll come back next year to save you. I didn't feel any of this. So just a little bit of skin in the game. Yeah, you got you got a good point there. I mean, I, I cannot argue with that. They 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 really should feel feel like like a part of this team. And uh, I mean, who who else have sixty million dollars? You know, in 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 a, in a civil suit, except for the for the Clippers, who are like right. in the in the yep. same shit. Like 
like the Denver Nuggets. Yeah. So and point. and and their best player is not playing, like 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 Denver Nuggets does have. It's 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 really tough. It's it's hard conversation to have. I don't like having it right now, but but this is this is where we are. Like three days ago, you know what I would say three days ago? I would say I am 20% confident Jamal is coming back and I'm 20% confident he will be playing well. Mm. So when you multiply 0.2 by 0.2, you get 4% of good Jamal. But 4% is not nothing, you know. That's right true. now, right now, I don't feel I don't feel even that much. I mean, there's a real part, there's a real part of me that believes Jamal is the type of player that he just needs one game like last night. I mean, he needs more than that. There's a ramp-up period, no question. But say you got into a playoffs and game one, he's terrible. Game two, he's terrible. Game three, he gets into his contentious. You know, they're playing John ja Morant, who's barking at him and saying this or that. And just something is like, it clicks back for him. It snaps back into this. That's right. So much of this is mental. And F that guy. I'm not letting him get me. And 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 that's what you need. Like, honestly, they need less of his creation and more of just his sort of shot making and spirit. And some, if he could just provide that, it would it would provide something to this team. Yeah. A week ago, I, I was speaking to Voya, of course, in, the, in this same place. And I said that the the... Uh, the Eurobasket is coming in September. And mm. I think Nikola wants to play there. And I don't want to hear a single voice from Denver saying they're not content about Nikola wasting half of his summer <laughs> after this season. Oh, my God. Do you I feel me, it. man? I Do love it. The bill is coming due for the Colorado side of this. Yeah, the Serbians have, have, have had, had to pay the bill so far. But now, That's you're true. right, Nuggets fans have to pay the bill this, this September. I like it. <laughs> so clip this and put it, you know, in October when the season starts. I, I can't wait till right before I go to Serbia in August. I, I completely turn the country against me when, when it's announced Jokic will play. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm a little worried he's tired. And then everyone, don't you even step foot on our country. No, no, you you won't say that. I, I all, all of my food you. is spitted the entire trip. I just keep finding, oh, what's this? What's this? Um, no, I'm kidding. Thank you for that for that prep. Uh, the last part of this conversation, Miroslav, we got about seven minutes left, six minutes left. You have a good question on here: the Serbian angle on how to play the right way. What it, what is that? What does it mean? Well, a couple of days ago, I saw some kind of discussion online about how how and I will say I will use this ugly term because I saw it how the foreign fans view the 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 right way of playing compared to how Americans view the right way of playing and those are two completely different things and I couldn't agree less with that because I mean there is only really one one way of playing correctly and that's uh, the way of winning the game. And if you have the players capable of playing the beautiful game, you should play the beautiful game because this will give you the best chance of winning. And if you have strong ISO players that that so can true. get separation in every possession possible, like like DeRozan or earlier Jordan, I, I, I've compared DeRozan to Jordan before, then of course you will go that that way, but saying that that there is a better playing than than a beautiful game or better playing than ISO game is just stupid. It just depends on 
on who do you play and and I, and frankly who is your coach as well because coach needs to be ready to implement certain things to accommodate his superstars and i and i hate the term superstars to be completely honest i have this crazy crazy situation with my mind for the last seven years because jokic really is a superstar and we are always we have always been teached that there is no such thing as superstar the team is a superstar so you have you know serbs in in the in the uh in the social media screaming that jokic needs to get more more possessions deciding there should be no possession at all where he doesn't touch the ball and such things and back home you are teached that everybody needs to be involved because this is the hardest thing to guard so uh it's it's a difficult thing uh, for me but i i i've been watching all kinds of of basketball for so many years that now i can confidently confidently say you should play the style that will with, that will benefit your result and also benefit the rules to be completely honest because there is so much rules exploitation all the way all the way in the nba today to the to the to the lesser extent in in europe as well but you know the nba is the league that was always trying to make a better product that will be better for viewing and this is why the nba was always well they're trying to i'm not saying sure. they're 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 doing it because they've made several mistakes there but they are trying to change the rules very often and if you look at the if the if the FIBA basketball, the rules have changed so just in cos- cosmetic way. Like we don't play two times twenty minutes anymore. We now play four times ten minutes, and the the possession is no longer thirty seconds; it's twenty four seconds. But that's more or less the same since nineteen eighty six when we got the three point line. Everything was almost the same since then. And, you know, in the NBA, you will always have those little perks, those little things that will help CP3 and James Harden and the other guys just exploit them. And, yeah. So kudos to them, honestly. Part of what you're getting at, it's funny because all of these conversations we've had all week uh, on this channel, on this feed, have been connected in a few ways. And what I think you're getting at here is the beauty of basketball, especially in this era, especially as it goes more global, is that there's so many different ways to approach it and they all have their merits and they all have their weaknesses. And I think when you think about the ideal of FIBA, I'm sorry, FIFA soccer, World Cup soccer, is that it's very obvious what a Brazilian style soccer team is versus an English style soccer team or German or what have you. And there's these cool different styles and traditions. And then you put them to the test and you say this year, which one is better because the players, because the culture, because this or that. What's great about the U.S. over the last 30 years and opening up the gates to all of these other interpretations of basketball is you get these different things. And then the question comes, can you melt all of that together? Can a guy from Baltimore and a guy from Serbia and a guy from Canada and a guy from San Jose, can they all come together and blend their different lessons and strategies and come up with their own unique sort of philosophy? And let's put that up against a guy from Greece and a guy from you know, all all these other different places and they blend together. And now we get this blended philosophy. And to me, that's, what's great. You're right. There's a lot of ways to win. The 2014 Spurs are almost nothing like the 2013 Miami heat. They're so different and both teams got to win. 
you know, in back-to-back years, each team got a win, and that should have been the proof of it. So to me, that, and when we talk about the NBA failing to tell the right stories, to me, that is the story, that's an eternal story that you could tell about basketball that the NBA has sort of thrown away for, to your point, this idea of like making it a one, you know, the one player, one thing, this is the right way, real hoopers, that's the right way, or this or that, when it's always the confluence and how those things come together. It's it's beautiful. I mean, if you if you think about it, when we when we look at those records from the old NBA before the merger, you had only local guys, only guys from the US, you know, and some of them were not really professionals, they were accountants by day and then basketball players by night. So you need to 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 see those records from back then why some other guys could have played for 48.5 minutes per game for like seven seasons in a row, like Will Chamberlain. It's because he didn't have to play against a guy from Russia, against a guy sure. from Yugoslavia, again, because the competition was was so much smaller. And yeah. there was the, this perception that even then the best players in the world were all playing in the NBA, and that's so far from the truth, as we can see right now. Right. Well, this was another great hour uh, of conversation, Miroslav. This was this was fun, man. Yeah, absolutely. When I come to Serbia, I have a feeling we're going to be up till like four in the morning having conversations like this that last seven or eight hours, and it'll probably happen every single day. So I've already told everybody our eight day trip or whatever it is that's going to be out there is going to be the most exhausting eight days of our lives. Oh, yeah. And I hope everybody will be able to come come home alive because you know, some of you might just kill each other. <laughs> I, I, when I when I see you arguing, you know, on Twitter, it's it's all in, in good. <laughs> but you know, after eight days of nothing but your colleagues, it's we, gonna we, suck for some time. We we might have to have you take over the podcast for like three weeks while we all decompress and go our separate ways. No sure. problem. No problem. Everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. Always great spending this hour with you guys. We are off until tomorrow when we have our party bus. So everybody that's coming to the party bus tomorrow, we're going to be there at 2 o'clock. We'll be there drinking beers having, and just hanging out with everybody, trying to get to know everybody. So if you want to come by at 3, 4, 5 o'clock, whatever it is, stop by. Uh, and if you're not on the party bus, you can still stop by and be part of the fun. Uh, we look forward to seeing everybody then. Adios.